Okay, so I went ahead and just went live because you're talking about everything that fuels my fire and I can just keep going. <laughs> but I'm really, really excited. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm really excited because this is exactly where for a year or more now I have said the opportunity is and not just me, but this is like you said, there's so much more to the plant than what goes in the ground and the flower that pops out. Uh, but if anybody has any questions, comments will pop in and you're welcome to answer them. Um, otherwise, anybody that does jump on, feel free to, yeah, ask any questions. So back cool. to Erica, tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing and what's going on. So my name is Erica Halverson. And first of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's I, I love talking with anybody that has any sort of passion in the hemp industry. It just it's like you said, fueling my fire type thing, too. So oh I am the founder and CEO of Tiny E Paper, and we make 100 percent pure hemp paper out of not only hemp stocks, but also out of the post extraction waste from CBD extractors. So. Mm -hmm. There are two real big issues that I'm trying to solve specifically for the cannabis industry. Number one is we sell this healing medicine, this wellness product, this wonderful magical plant in the most irresponsible way possible. I mean, it literally makes us, makes us look like assholes. <laughs> We've got enough assholes in this industry, but it's surrounded by mounds of garbage made from trees, which is one of our most important renewable resources as human beings. And so that's the first thing is we need to sell this medicine responsibly. And we also have that material within our own house. We have a self-sustaining business model built into our own industry and we're not utilizing it right now. So that's challenge number one. Number two is that hi, Ray. Hi, Ray. Hi, Ray. you are, and I, I mean this in the best way, you are not one of my favorite people. <laughs> K-N-O-T. That's right. <laughs> but the other the other problem the industry is having is the CBD industry is the fastest growing segment of the fastest growing industry in the world. And they are producing tons and tons and tons of waste every single day. I have one extractor that can give me one to five tons of waste a day because they're continually almost 24 hours running those machines and it's coming out. So that's another problem that I'm trying to solve is utilizing that waste somehow because yeah. companies are either, depending on what state they're in, they're either paying somebody to take that stuff off of their land and they then they have to turn it into something else so that they can just get rid of it or they're burning it for fuel, which just breaks my heart because there's so many other things to do with it. But those are really the two biggest issues that I'm trying to solve for the cannabis industry, really as a whole. We can legitimize ourselves by making really smart, responsible choices about how we sell our product. And then we also need to be really cognizant about what we are doing to this earth, what we are expelling as waste from our product, what we are utilizing, and how we're treating this planet with our product as well. Because we have a huge like climate change statement we can be making as well. Oh, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about each of these. Each I, I feel like we preach this all the time and I love hearing it from somebody else. So talk to me, what are some of the topics that we should be talking about or why should people be listening? Um, because when I got into hemp, I, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, CBD, the kind you smoke, the kind you use, the kind you rub on your body. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea my passion would turn to supply chain and um, down to labor laws, down to how and really i think what brought to light is our timing we have an opportunity and a time to really uh grow this industry with the pandemic it, it's right here in our it's hands. being handed <laughs> literally sitting there and we need to be very careful with it and make sure yeah. we do right things with it so yeah, yeah. So, so so what's your what was your aha moment or where did you really um realize that what needs to be talked about is supply chain and is more than just the flower and the plant. Yeah, well, I'll be honest, if you would have told me five, 10 years ago that I was going to be a somewhat quasi expert in hemp and hemp paper, I would have told you you were smoking something and share. <laughs> but it just kind of happened. Um, it started when I actually got my foot into working in the cannabis industry for the first time. And I was working for the largest vaporizer company in the industry. Pax on the cannabis side and Juul on the nicotine side. 
And when I saw the packaging that was being put together made of trees surrounding this tiny vape pod, it's this big and it has this much garbage around it. And I, that, that was kind of my first aha moment. I didn't understand even then what my place in the world of that challenge was going to be. Sure. Um, yeah, and then I left Pax and Jewel. We kind of had a shared meeting of the minds and said, this isn't working for both of us. And about two weeks later is when I had a serendipitous conversation with a friend over happy hour uh, about hemp and about hemp paper and why we are not utilizing it on a B2B basis. And that's when my light bulb went off. And I was like, holy heck, cannabis, hemp paper, why are they not being utilized? And that's mm -hmm. where my journey began. Um, two weeks after I had that aha moment and doing a shit ton, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this, but doing a whole lot of <laughs> research, I found out that there was no other company that was focusing on the cannabis industry. And no other company in the States was making 100% pure hemp paper, which means that we were only putting a Band-Aid on a problem that we've already discovered as a problem. Like we know using trees for all of our paper is not the smartest thing to do. But why are we only getting get why are we only getting to 25% hemp? That's still 75% of bad stuff that we're putting in the paper. So that was my first kind of wow, this is kind of nutty, is that there's literally nobody doing hundred percent hemp paper. So that's that's just literally where my path started. And I have been doing this now. November was my three-year anniversary for Tiny E Paper. And it's very ironic we're having this conversation right now. As we speak right now, I am producing my first production role. It is on the machine right now. Ah! Woo! That's exciting. <laughs> so stoked. <clears throat> but the problem that I found during this entire process is that entire piece of the chain that is right in the middle of the supply chain that is missing. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the very start. People are so focused on putting the plant in the ground or focused on the flower once it sprouts. And they're forgetting that the stock holds all of this together. And the hemp stock is the strongest natural fiber on earth. It's really tough stuff. It is impossible to use anything, anything utilizing the stock. It's impossible to do it without processing it. it to make paper, to make plastic, to make anything fi for our fibers for clothing and things like that. You have to process the stock. The other part of that coin is I talk to a lot of farmers that don't understand there are many different species of hemp plant as well. There are species that grow short and stubby with big cores that are made for holding up these large buds because they want all those CBD flowers, but they're short and stocky like a cannabis plant or a, a, a weed plant. High resin. Yeah, yeah. I need industrial hemp. It grows a lot like bamboo. It grows 12 to 20 feet tall. It has a very small core. I need more of the outside bark. I don't need the core on the inside. And there's not a lot of flowers to it because you, you actually grow it very close together so it doesn't get sun down to the bottom of it, which is why it's always striving to get up, up, up and, and get to that sunlight at the top. And the only flowers that you have are just at the very top of the plant. When we're so focused on CBD though, I'm finding that farmers aren't planting the right hemp for me even. So I can't get enough of the stalks from a CBD plant in order to make the paper that I need. So it starts with the very beginning of what we're putting in the ground and making sure that we're understanding who our audience is, who do they want to buy that stuff, whatever it is that they're planting. And the other odd thing that's going on is I have farmers that are asking me to give them POs and LOIs before they even planted the plant, planted the seed. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Why do you want me to pay for something really? I promise to pay you before you've even planted it. And I get to see it and make sure you understand how to grow it. Because a lot of you are doing this for the first time. And then I find out that the EPA put a standard in the farm bill that they can't get crop insurance unless they get a promissory note of some kind that somebody's going to actually buy their raw material. So they've, they've put in all these weird kind of things in the farm bill even that are making it really hard for us to get this thing going here. And the biggest problem from that is 
we don't have enough people in the industry making the rules about the industry. We have a lot of people who know zero about it. All that they care about is the economy of their state that they're living in, i.e. Mitch McConnell. He didn't care about us hemp people. He cared that hemp is Kentucky's number one cash crop. And that's the only reason why it's one of the only bills that the Grim Reaper has put through on the floor is for his own state to benefit from it. And he and he even made a comment this week. He is not putting the Safe Banking Act on the floor, even though Congress just voted it for it again. So there's a just for me to make paper. I'm finding out that I'm having all of these challenges with how the laws are being set up, how the farmers are even thinking about this product because they're focused on the wrong things. And then we get into the processing and pulping. And that supply chain and why we're not thinking holistically of the plant and how that's messing things up for me as well. Because, again, if I don't have processors and pulpers, I can't make my paper here in the States, which means I have to so bypass us and go to Europe or go to Canada. And like I said, we've got enough assholes in this industry. I don't want to cannibalize ourselves before we get a chance to get off the ground. Well, and... I I think what I've seen, you said a couple of things that are really, really stuck out is the processing, the supply chain, um, the insurance, the crop insurance, the banking, right? Um, I think where people, the more I go out and I talk to people, oh, and also standards, standardized, standardizing. Yes. Yes. Because how do you know what you're supposed to buy and how do farmers know what they're supposed to grow? And how do I know I'm going to get that same stock year after year and crop after crop? I don't know right now. I have to send samples of everything before I even make a buying decision. That takes a long time in the process. Well, if we look at, say, the wool industry, right, the wool industry all of the wool is sent to one place where it's checked, graded and then sold. Right. There are fundamental um, practices in place that protect the buyers so that there are it's not even necessarily I don't need a sample of your wool. Mm -hmm. I know that it's it's a certain quality and a grade. And if it's not, you're responsible for it. And there's not structure like that set up in this industry. And I think it's important that consumers and understand that. Right. Big buyers get it. Yep. Right. It's the consumer that that I think, you know, even when I talk to people and I talk about hemp and I say, well, you know, I, I list some of the statistics about why is hemp paper better than wood or better than paper? You know what we're what we're considering paper now, um, right. you know, and and why is it? Why are we not doing it if it is so much better? Because when you repeat those stats, people are like, oh, crap, or else we would be doing that. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, how come we're not utilizing it then? And I'm like, gosh, yeah, why aren't we? Yeah, I think it's important that people understand that there's this broken piece of, or or that there's been an industry that's been opened up with opportunity without these structures in place, mm -hmm. like banking. I mean, how many billions of dollars moved across our roads and suitcases and trunks of cars last year? Yeah. Well, and, you and not out of illegal, right? It's sure. not that that money is bad money. It's not, it's that there is not an infrastructure set up to put the money into the bank. No. And going back <clears throat> even to your wool um, example, there are laws to protect the sheep, right? Mm -hmm. Gotta yes. make sure that we're shearing them properly. We're not hurting them, that they're humane. We have no laws protecting our plant. Nothing. Mm -hmm. So we're not even looking at the hemp industry the same way that we're looking at other industries in order to regulate it, because we're not even looking at the plant as something that needs to be protected and regulated and made sure that it's being taken care of the right way. Right, right. Well, and I think this goes back to how uh, new and unique this industry is, mm -hmm. right? What other crop, when we go back to a crop, right, is in every single facet of our lives? Yeah, we build our houses with corn. Yeah, you know, we we're not. I mean, I guess, I mean, but look at oil and gas, right? We're back to an oil and gas industry, mm -hmm. um, a new commodity, and we're creating opportunities. And so, uh, real quick, when we talk about standards, I'd love to chat about that in a minute. But I want to hear why, why hemp paper? Yeah. Like why, why should I be switching over and understanding that without those standards we can't but 
But in order to get there, yeah, what do we need moving forward? So, so I'm going to start with, I'm going to go backwards and start with probably the scariest stat about why we need to be switching to, from trees to hemp and kind of work our way backwards. Because I think a lot of people already know it's, you can recycle it more, it's stronger, it's all that. I, those are all pretty normal things that people have gotten now. Paper, to make it look white like this, to make it be white, there is a bleaching agent, and one of the ingredients is called carcinogen dioxin. And carcinogen dioxin happens to be an ingredient in Agent Orange. And there is so much of this that is being put into our waterways, into our soil system, into everything that goes into our environment, just to make paper look white, that every single female on Earth has traces of carcinogen dioxin in our breast milk that we are feeding our children. And again, that is just to make paper white for no other reason than we believe it needs to be white. So that's the first thing is I don't use any bleaching agents or anything to make my paper. I don't even allow the word bleach in the vocabulary tiny e-paper because that assumes harsh, bad chemicals and icky. If you can't put it in your body, it does not go into my paper making process. Okay, so this is the same, this is, this is across the same board in textiles, right? I have the same, like the exact same concerns about the way our textiles are being made and the poison that's being used. That's to... the dyes. If you yes. just look at the ingredients in ink and dyes to turn it these pretty colors, it's amazingly horrible. And so yes. that's what else I'm looking at is I've got a printer that I'm going to start doing R&D. Now that I've got this roll produced, I can send some of that off to a printer for more R&D for different processes and things like coatings, obvious coatings and gold leaf and all that kind of stuff. Because you've got to be able to do everything with hemp paper if I'm going to switch everybody over. I'm even looking at things like vegetable dyes. And I have my product developer and I, um, we're also looking into, I believe he's gotten to the final stages of a... Um, adhesive, like for envelopes and things that is completely natural with no chemicals in it as well. So I'm literally looking at everything that touches my paper and that goes into making that paper turn into something else, whether it's a box, a book, a newsprint or whatever. I need to make sure that that entire process is as responsible as the way that I made it. And, and that means not doing anything to destroy the environment from which that raw material comes to us from. And that's the whole, that's my whole big point about switching over to hemp paper is we can take away all of these harsh chemicals and grossness and save our trees. You know, we, as humans, we got to have trees to live. We, we really need those for the carbon dioxide exchanges, things like that. We have uh, to. Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss was on to something. Yes. The Lorax has a message. And I, I always say, I feel like I've become the Lorax because yes. the more I learn about how readily available a solution is, it just, it almost makes me angry some days. Well, I'm back to the very, show. very obvious of things. It takes 25 to 50 years to grow a tree. They are not fast growers and you have no choice. You cannot hurry up that process. You just cut yeah. them down sooner. Hemp, you can grow two full cultivations within four to six weeks or four to six months, which means two full cultivations every single year. That's fantastic. So just when you think about how renewable that resource is, it's it, just looking at the mathematics of it, the land space that you would need to grow that much hemp is, is minuscule to how many acres and acres and acres of trees that you have to have just for paper making. And that doesn't include lumber for house building and all that kind of stuff as well. This is just for paper. And I, uh, something else that people might not know, there are literally forests that are throughout the United States that are protected forests where that, that land and those trees are only made for paper. They're owned by companies like Weyerhaeuser and Georgia Pacific, and they only grow those trees for paper. And then they chop them down and have to start that entire process over. So just doing that to our land area to constantly have this resource for paper is nutty to me. Just... Looking at the simple mathematics, it just does not make sense. What about 
what about, this is something that's come up to me lately, or it was just brought to my attention is, you know, the redwood trees and the problems with the redwoods and the availability of now to be able to replace those trees with hemp to prevent the forest fires and the true risk that those trees are. I mean, for those that don't know, they blow up when they get hot, they they really blow up. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so then all of the area around them then lights on fire, not just the tree, yeah. like other trees. And so it it really is. Um, yeah. So I again, when we talk hemp, people always say, Well, why? And what are you doing? Or when somebody says, Well, what are you working on? I have a really hard time saying what my passion is, or even and and being. I mean, I don't have a 30 second ele elevator pitch anymore <laughs> because I literally turn it on like, well, first, what's your passion? Because hemp right. is also part of that. And that's why even when we, before we got, got on live, what, when you said, what do you want to talk about? It's literally just even to make paper. I can talk about almost anything in this industry because it all is part of my process. It all yeah. touches something having to do from the laws just to plant that seed to the type of hemp that grows to the amount of it that grows to the processing of it to the making of the paper and then turning it into a box turning it into a whatever like that whole process involves just about every single piece of this entire industry so when we talk pr price and cost how competitive are we now with cost yeah um and understanding that as this grows and when you said earlier the the piece of this business or this industry that needs the capital injection is the processing mm -hmm. and the manufacturing, you know, the big, the big, um, the scalability opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And with, so, <laughs> that's okay. So with that being said, um, I forgot what I was going to say. For pricing. So I will tell yeah. you, yeah. this is the number one question whenever I talk about heavy. Okay. That's always going to be the number one buying buying issue of is price. And my strategy has been from the start, if I don't make this paper affordable, nobody is going to make the switch that I'm wanting them to make. And my, my original goal was to get the entire cannabis industry on a B2B level for all their packaging, labeling, not rolling papers, that's consumer driven, B2B paper, any of the paper that is required to run a cannabis business. My original intent of Tiny E was to get the entire industry to stop using trees, switch over to hemp and, and create a self-sustaining business model. And then we get to be a model to everybody else. I can't do that if I don't make it affordable to hemp or to cannabis people, specifically, especially. Right. So sure. my strategy for pricing has always been to hold within a 30% increase over the tree paper version of that product, toilet paper, printer paper, box, whatever it is. I liken my model to the way people are looking at LED lights versus incandescent light bulbs. People to this day, even in states where you still have a choice of incandescent or LEDs, are still making a choice to pay up to 70% more for LED light bulbs because they get it. They get it that it's environmentally better, they last longer, there is a better cost justification over the long run for that light bulb. I believe that that 30% can be baked into my pricing because people will still understand all of those other benefits to why hemp paper is better than tree paper. But if I go outside of that 30%, I think it takes away that value proposition and they're not, that's where I think that that degradation starts happening. So I, I know that my, this is not a great conversation to have with investors, <laughs> but I know that I'm gonna be eating it a little bit on the front end in order to get as many people to switch as possible. But there are two things, and just look at basic economics 101, there are two things that are going to help me drive that price down. And one of those is volume. So the more people that I get to switch over, the more that that pricing starts making better sense for me on the back end. And then also the CBD extractors are giving me their raw material for free. So the more that I can make my paper out of raw material that is considered waste, the more that can also help my pricing structure as well. But the other thing that I've always had to keep in mind from the very, very start of when I started this company is I'm always competing against a commodity. Paper is a commodity. And when you start a business in an industry where your product is already considered a commodity, that is the number one challenge. So this 
stuff is expensive. It's expensive to make. It's mostly expensive right now because I can't do any of it in the States right now. The raw material, unfortunately, that I'm doing to get th this product or this roll made came from Canada because I had to buy it already processed and have it sent over already cleaned, already decorticated and separated and remixed in the in the bast herd mix that I need it to be because I don't need a lot of the herd. That's the inside core. I need more of that long outside stringiness of the bast. There's not anybody doing that here yet. I would be interested in having and furthering this conversation. This is something GHA is working on in, on a bunch of different levels. And we're working with a few different groups to mm -hmm. really dive into the specifics of those standards. Yep. Uh, we actually have a meeting this Thursday. I'd love to invite you to if you are interested, yep. because I think if we, if we as an organization or collectively can come together and really set these standards for the industrial, the the commodity side of the industry, right? This, I think that it, it will further your success tenfold because I validate when you say it's hard, it's hard to do. I've seen when people send fiber, they're decorticating, but some of it's full of the, uh, it's dirty, it's sandy, it's, it's dusty. Like knives, which are the pieces of herd that look like this. I, I can't have those in my, in the mix. Right. I can't have right. it. messes my entire, there's no cellulose in it. There's no cellular structure that I need. There's no fiber content. Like there's a, there's a reason I need it processed the way I need it processed. And I'm even now talking to a couple different groups that are interested in giving me, giving me the money on a capital scale to be able to build these machines or buy ones that are currently um, out there because I use a lot of the same machines, just a little tweaking and a little calibrating difference because hemp is stronger than trees and it's trees are pretty soft and it's always the same size of the tree fiber you need for what it, for the paper that you're using. I'm using fibers in all different sizes based on how much of that hemp fiber somebody wants to see in the paper. So I need machines that can chop it up a little bit differently, but I can buy machines that already exist and kind of retool them a little bit. So I'm talking to people that want to give me enough capital that I can build those machines myself and turn it around it like within the next 90 days. I'm just looking for the space now to put those machines. But I'm telling and I keep saying this to my team, when we solve this problem for Tiny E, I am solving this problem for the entire industry. So that's why this is my my new mission. My, and I've been saying this since I started this. It has not been about just making paper to me. It has truly been about saving the plant and changing the planet with this plant and really making an impact on it. and getting it going in the States the way that it needs to get going. Well, and again, we go back to supply chain and opportunity right now with our pandemic and how how much it was brought to the surface that how broken or dependent we are as a country or a state or even a community on everybody else, right? And when that's lost or cut or broken, you know, uh, I've got a girlfriend that manages a grocery store um, and she said ketchup lids became a problem. I was walking through the grocery store the other day and these nice white bottles with white labeling and branding had bright red labels. And I was like, that's pandemic. Yep. They couldn't find bottle lids. So yep. now they're stuck with bright red lids or they couldn't put product out. Yeah. And so the um, companies had a problem getting their empty vape carts because most of them were getting them from China. Mm -hmm. Well, and printers, <laughs> I went to Best Buy the other day to buy a printer and you can't buy printers right now. Yeah. So there's so many things that have been brought to light and consumers, I think, are just now starting to see it. Right. Our our B2B has felt the pinch for a little while. Now we're it's it's just trickling down, in, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I I'm curious about recyclability, you know, if of hemp paper. I've met a number of packaging companies and have had further conversation with a great connection that I'd love to connect to. Adam Peak is his name. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's with Fortis, um, but we he's he's done TED Talks and anyways, um, <laughs> I could go on and on. Great connection. Long story short, we, we've had a number of questions and one of them was about recycling and you know, can it be how how long how many times because the fibers are cut short and just now you said some paper has longer fibers some shorter fibers yeah, um, I that, I'm gonna have people that want my paper to look like hemp paper they sure. want people to ask about it they like that you can see the <clears throat> excuse me see the fibers in it because it forces that conversation there are going to also be some people that want it to look 
as much like tree paper as possible. Get it as light and bright as you can. I don't want to see any fibers in it. I don't want anybody asking about it, but I still want to make a responsible decision. So I've got to account for everybody that wants any different variation of that. So that's mm -hmm. that's why also I need some of those machines a little bit differently um, because mm -hmm. you don't have those variables in tree pulp. It's one. Right. That's it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I would assume that your paper that contains more fiber, long fibers, is a stronger, longer lasting paper? Not or... necessarily. It's just a longer fiber on the shorter fibers when I make it so that you can't see them. I'm just chopping the fiber down to a micron size, which is okay. like dust particle size, just so that you can't see it. And on the recyclability, you can recycle hemp paper seven to eight times. You can only recycle tree paper three to four times. So you can more than double your recyclability just by switching over to hemp paper as well. So that's that's an important piece to me. And we're not even talking about the, like you said, the, the carbon footprint and our ability to, you know, <laughs> produce on the other side before it gets to you. Yep. You know, and the other, the other piece to this, I'm talking to a biochemist right now about working with an enzyme that will help to break down the paper when it gets into the ground a little bit faster as well. Once it starts, um, once it starts getting together with the other enzymes that are in the dirt and things like that. So those just to help it break down a little bit faster. I'm talking about that. There is also one form of waste that comes from the paper making process. Otherwise, I am I am very carbon neutral, but there's only one little area of waste and it's called black liquor or black licorice. And it's this grody tar type stuff that is the back end of the paper making process. I can't get around it. It's just part of the process. But the same biochemist is working on an enzyme that will help break that down into wow such a renewable resource that we're going to be able to utilize that black liquor, turn it into recycled water that we can then reconstitute back into the entire paper making process. So okay. I'm literally looking at being able to make a statement with my entire process that I use enough, as much waste as I can and I expel zero waste in my entire process. So that's also very important to me in creating not only a self-sustaining business model, but a self-sustaining ecosystem. And one of the other ways that I'm doing this is I mentioned that I'm utilizing the post-extraction waste from CBD extractors. I'm actually going to be utilizing all their waste, all the waste from my extractors and from my farmers, from the root ball, all the way to the sticks and stems, the leaves, everything, because I'm also going to be working with like an eco recycling type companies. And we're going to turn that stuff into a living soil that will go back to my hemp farmers that gives them higher yields, better quality product, which gives me better quality raw material. And that's how we recreate, recreate that self-sustaining ecosystem. So that always goes back to what I said at the very beginning, where this has always been about more than making paper to me. It has been about creating an entire structure that can support itself and benefit all of us. This goes back to our supply chains. This goes all back to sustainability. <laughs> Everything that I didn't even think about before I stepped into this industry. Yep. I considered, and I shouldn't say everything. Sometimes I make myself sound but like I've never even thought about it. But really, like I didn't know how impactful sustainability was for me. And I've even now, the majority of the people that I talk to that are my age say, why? Why should I care? Why should it, why should I spend, yeah, why should I spend $30 on a t-shirt that's made out of hemp, that's biodegradable, that's carbon, you know, all of these positive things when you can go to Walmart and buy a dollar t-shirt. And, yeah. you know, I go back to labor laws. Yeah. I go back to the things that are impactful. So bringing it back to the United States or to circular, you know, economy and sustainability is more and more critical for us to survive right? Yeah. For us to be successful. We can't depend on other countries to get 90 something percent of our textiles or cut down trees, wait 12 years to cut down trees. If the fires maintain at the rate that they are and our lack of nutrient and soil, we're, we're doomed, right? Yeah. And it's more and more available. Okay. So with that being said, our younger generations, um, our Gen X and Zs, they listen. 
Yep. Right. Yep. Paying attention. And that 30% you talked about an increase. Um, I've always heard 20%, you know, at that 20% mark, people are willing to pay or 30%. They're willing to yep. know where it came from, that it's, that it really is recyclable. Now, mm -hmm. when we say recyclable and sustainable, right. There's a lot of greenwashing that I've discovered. Too yeah. That I was and I'm hearing more companies now that are saying we are, we are a company on a mission for sustainability. Well, really, what does that mean? Define that. What does sustainability sure. mean to your company? Because I think we throw that word around a lot. I'm going to the grocery and I'm buying sustainable fish. Yeah, I'm doing good for the world. Mm, no. <laughs> or recycle or organic. Yeah, I mean, if we, I think a lot of people use that term and don't truly understand what it means, what the philosophy behind it is, and how you can impact it, no matter what you are doing. Everybody in the world can make choices that are more sustainable as long as they understand what that is, how you go about that. Like, what does it even mean? Mm -hmm. And it means something different to everybody. It means something different to every industry. But mm -hmm. I think that especially the cannabis industry, we have to preach this with just going back to the whole message of what this plant is about, why we have passion for it. Why, why 90% of the people that you talk to in this industry are passionate about it and making money is never their first reason for why they got into it. That's why we have to always talk about driving that message home. Yes. Uh, Nancy just said something really, she said sustainable solutions are important in becoming mandated with large organizations. She was just working with sustainability director at SAP last week. I think that that's, I mean, that just goes to show you that people are listening, people are paying attention, right? Yep. And when we talk about, you know, the market that's available, it's massive. Our younger generations, they are being affected. My generation and my parents' generation is probably the least affected by this. We yep. got lucky, hit this gap where they really won't see it, right? They, and that's they where the millennial generation, that younger generation is, are the, they're going to be our teachers. At, when we get to the end of the day, they are going to be the ones teaching us what all of this really means because they're the ones that truly do get it. And they're the ones that honestly should care more. It's them and their children that are going to be affected most. We've already, our time's almost up on this planet. Like we've already screwed it over as much as we can for ourselves. It's our generation behind us that are the ones that are going to really be the ones that, that, that make this movement happen. We've got to get it in the hands of our children. Yep. And I've said this this for a while. So that's part of what GHA is doing or uh, really taking an initiative is to create some opportunities for education. You know, mm -hmm. and with that come jobs. Naturally, yep. then we've got the economic development. And so I've got a question. I've got a, a member of GHA um, in the textile space that you had mentioned earlier, um, microns, the micron mm -hmm. size of what you're chopping your um herd or pulp up to so that um for paper mm -hmm. he's um concerned about micron size for textiles would you think maybe that the paper and textile industry are along the same lines of the type of fiber that they need okay yeah. yes very okay. very similar in fact it, it need part of the process for the stock to get it to either a a pulp situation for me making paper or a fiber situation for it to be spun into something like a, a yarn or a fiber. Right. It's almost identical right up to a certain point. Almost identical. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. So I would really like you to be, I would love to have you involved in this conversation as we move this forward. And I'll um, take that step further. I'm just to make the fiber, the cottonized hemp fiber that I need to make toilet paper and uh -huh. any of the offshoots of any of that soft like fibrous paper, like paper towels and all of that, that is even a more similar process to the fiber that's needed for, for cotton and yarn and that kind of stuff for fabrics. Okay. So I'm really, because this, this then goes back to educating our farmers, right? Mm -hmm. Our farmers have to know that this stock one that's being grown is not the stock that we need for the fiber or the hemp we're talking about, yep. right? They are different. And that when we're growing a stock to the full 120 days, it's a, a thick, heavy trunk trunk of this tree, right? Zero good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when we talk about waste and when people, you know, talk about, well, there's all this waste, we have all this product out here, 
um, this is kind of what happens when a market is open like this and our infrastructure isn't set up. We've got this influx of product and I'm, it's unfortunate, but you see it starting to happen now in, in the fiber side of the industry. And now um, I'm starting to see even on LinkedIn, videos of entire bushels of hemp being burned just out in an open field burned now and i get i get contacted almost on a daily basis by farmers that still have crop from last year that are looking for buyers but it's all cbd hemp it's all cbd yeah. and I, I, I can't use it <laughs> yeah well let's um i've made this commitment and it's become more and more passionate you know more and more it, it's just sinking with me that um, the reason we started GHA is to support this industry. I don't have an invested interest in one business, but I am incredibly passionate when it was my aha moment to see that we have a solution to the plastics problem and the papers problem and the trees burning and the housing and so many things, right? So with with the paper, going back to paper, where are, where are, what do you need or where can we really step in and support the industry that then lifts you know lifts all tides rises all tides but really to support the paper industry specifically and do you see a big battle coming forward with the current paper industry or do you see the transition happening um you know with less resistance um well i'll, I'll start with the kind of the in most interesting part of that question to me, which is what are the other paper companies doing, the tree paper companies? Um, yeah. So they are desperately trying to get into the hemp, in hemp side of things. Um, it's, I have already been contacted by a very large paper company who already asked me the A question of yeah, what sure. would be interested in an acquisition at some point. And yeah. I very politely said, here's where you can shove that. <laughs> because that to me would be one of the worst things to happen to this industry for any, it's kind of like pharmaceuticals taking over the cannabis side of things. If a large tree paper com comes in and let's say they, they offer to buy me tomorrow. And I say, yeah, you will never again hear from tiny E paper and you'll never again hear of hemp paper because that cannibalizes their entire company. And that is, that's, that's what scares me is, that side of the beast getting a hold of us and silencing us. And so first of all, that ain't gonna happen for, that's not gonna happen to my company. So, uh, so I have a question. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I'm curious, and I've said this for a while, if businesses like paper companies are not talking about hemp, they're going to, they, they won't make it. Yep. I mean, it's not a matter of, hey, I'm gonna silence it it's not going away. Hemp is, hemp's here to stay and it's real. And, and so I think that for me, I look at it as uh, companies that are willing to get into it are those that are going to be, I mean, we're at the front of a commodity. <laughs> look at what happened in oil and gas. You know, there's a reason that there's oil and gas tycoons and these companies that have the capability to put the capital injection in and support an organization like yours and say here's a new fresh brand and we're sustainable and we're you can recycle us and we're going to last and we can create it within organizations and we can support rural communities that's who's going to win yep you mark my word those are the you know in patagonia I, I have to give them a shout out they're doing a good job at leading the way with sharing the message yep. right and, and i think they as big as they are, are running into the same problems. Finding hemp, quality hemp fiber, and then turning and educating the farmers of the type of fiber, and that it's not just one type of hemp. They yep. look different, they're harvested different, they're processed differently. And in other countries, you can process fiber or cottonized fiber, where you can't do that here in the United States due to poisonous chemicals, Yep. right? And those yeah. are the same types of things that I'm sure you're facing, right? In the paper industry. To, yeah, and that goes back to, you said, what do I need is, is I think education and doing more about talking about this, talking about our ugly babies and the issues that we have, talking yeah. about putting people like us in lawmaking positions. Let's start putting people like us in office and start thinking about actually how our votes affect our own industry that that's to me is kind of where 
we really have to get a lot more passionate about being involved in the jurisdiction part of this process and the regulation side of it and not be scared of that kind of stuff. But it just goes back to more and more people talking about this and talking about the different species. And, and it even goes down to there are different regions of the country that will grow different hemp varieties differently, some better, some worse. And we need to start identifying that and talking about it and have farmers talking to each other and saying, this worked for me, this didn't work for me. And, and just keeping those lines of communication going, that, that would be the biggest thing that I would need. And then okay, that's where that's where Jason commits. Yeah. We commit to being that that go-to place for these types of discussions. You know, and that's one thing that I realized the first time I went to an event. Um, it if I'm in marketing, I can Google who else is in marketing. And mm -hmm. I know that the marketing company down the street from me is bigger than me or same size as me or comp competing with me or in a completely different industry, focusing on different industries. There's nothing like that in cannabis and hemp, right? Yes. And so my commitment was just that, is to provide a place where we can get these discussions going and that now you know somebody else who's processing fiber for high-end textiles that may be a solution for your, your need in fiber distribution, yes. right? And being able to get it here within the United States. And so those types of things are, are, are I'm super thankful we connected because I think that this really is a matter of, of bringing our leaders together. Yeah, and uh, just to come on a point on what we're just talking about too, Loretta just made a great comment. I know Southern states yeah. that use more tobacco are moving into hemp. Like paper companies, tobaccos are trying to invest in hemp. I actually talked to one just last week. He's a tobacco farmer, he wants to get into hemp, and I shocked the hell out of him with our conversation because he thought growing, buying, and selling hemp was exactly like tobacco. And I had to <laughs> him and say, it is nothing like tobacco. Zero of it is exactly like tobacco. And it, he didn't, didn't even understand that. And already was, it, he's like, wow, now I'm even more excited because I actually think I understand what I'm doing. But that yeah. goes back into the education that's needed is there are a lot of people that think, oh, I'm just gonna switch over my crop to this. And then I'm gonna be in the hemp game. And that, yeah. that is, it's just not true. <laughs> Right, right. Well, and again, I think we touched on so many of the reasons why today, you know, down to the quality of fiber and each buyer is different based on what they're producing. I mean, hempcrete, you know, hempcrete to me seems like low hanging fruit. It's pretty basic. Standards should be there from Wyoming to Florida. Completely different specs. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's not and it has nothing to do with the fiber has nothing yeah. to do with the hemp at that point. Yeah. It's everything else in it. And so those types of things that I just think more and more education and discussion. I'd love to invite you back. I'd love connections yeah. for anybody else that you know that's doing it right in the industry. I'd like to highlight them. And of course, I'll send you an invite to our meeting. Um, yeah, but if anybody else has questions, and thanks, Loretta, by the way, for joining us. I'm super excited that you did. But <laughs> Anything else? We have a couple minutes left before we sign off. Anything else you'd like to add or say? Or? I would say that one of the most other important things that's going to help my hemp mission move forward, because it's not just my hemp mission, I'm on a movement to, to have everybody be involved, but it, it's also finding synergies and partnering, partnering up with other companies who are very similarly passionate, like Not Plastic and what Rye is doing. And finding those places where we can get together. And I always say that I, I know I can make a lot, of, a lot of noise on my own, but I wanna make a lot of noise and I can do that a lot louder when I work with other people. And so I am looking for all, looking for those partnerships, looking for those synergies. And that only happens when people like you wanna talk and that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited. I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. And I think this, what you just said, goes back to the value of the plant, right? The, the very core of this plant is the community and the synergies and the unity and bringing things together. And that in order for it to be successful, it's going to take 
two leaders sitting in the room next to each other and brainstorming, right? And and discussing opportunities. Um, it's going to take a community of people to say, "Hey, we need to we need to put forces together, and a facility has to be in this location in order for us to compete on price." Yep. And, you know, and in order for you to to get the quality of fiber you need, someone's got to educate our farmers about what you're looking for yep. and where your facilities are. Where are you located, and how do people get in touch with you? So I actually live in Long Beach, California, only because I wanted to live at the beach, which is awesome on months like this. I don't yeah. do any part of my process in California. Zero. None. Okay. So I'm located in the United States, and I do my process in all different states because right now I don't get to decide where they are. I have to move my product for that process all over the place. And that's also not a way that I can survive. Logistics is the number one cost on my P&L right now. And that it's painful. <laughs> that's, that's a good, you know, and these are things we talk about. I've, I've started to really loop in logistics companies because if we, as we've figured mm -hmm. out how do we get these products to consumers that logistics is a piece that's become a, a And again, another opportunity to bring it into the United States. Right. Yep. Also, another opportunity for our youth that care. They yep. they care that it's U.S. made. They care that we're taking care of our own people. Yeah, they should. We all should. And not that I'm not discrediting anything outside, right? Because we're a global organization. However, I I also validate the need for stable supply chains so that when tragedy happens or war happens we're set up and protecting ourselves, right? Just yeah. like I would hope the Caribbean is set up. Mm -hmm. I want I want China to be set up. Everybody needs to be set up. And really, in order to be competitive, our processing facilities have to be within, what, how many, up to 200 miles maybe from where it's grown? I'm trying to key, I'm trying to build geographical silos, one, yeah. in the, one on the east, one in the center. So I'm really only shipping yeah. up and down versus shipping all over the place. And look, those three different silos of jobs, Farmers, processors, if I say, hey, I need three or four of everything as part of, part of my process, those are a lot yes. of people that I can help. That's a lot of states' economies that I can help. Those are a lot of farmers that I can keep from having to have hot crops and burn their crops down and things like that. So the more that I can help, the merrier, in my, in my opinion. A hundred percent. Well, and you're a really tiny piece of this, right? You need so much supply. Our paper industry is massive and it's only paper. Yeah. I was blown away when I was talking to, I think it was Rye about kitty litter mm. or Vinny, and maybe it was Vinny um, about kitty litter and the mm. demand. It, it was him and, it, and the demand and what we would need in the hemp industry to grow, you know, what we would need to grow in order to support just kitty litter. And yeah. I was just like, yeah. And, and seriously, just from the volume that I am talking to people about on my social media feeds, because especially lately I've been telling people get let me know what you want let's talk about po's because the time is now it yes they're not one part of the hemp industry can be su supported by the supply right now none of them can so like we're in a we're in a really awesome unique opportunity right now how many how many times does somebody get the opportunity real time to create an entire industry and we're all involved in that right now it's it's really exciting a hundred percent. I feel blessed. And it was handed to us with the break in our, as much as the pandemic is heartbreaking and it's not what I would have ever asked for. Um, the cycle repeats itself, right? Yep. And it's, it's now is a time of innovation. And I say, when someone's struggling, we have how many thousands, hundreds and thousands of people without job in hospitality. I welcome you to get involved in the hemp industry because it's a team. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so, so much, Erica, for joining thank me today. You. I'm really excited. And then if you need anything, I'd love to talk more. And thanks for everybody listening and watching and for all the comments as well and the questions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you guys. Enjoy. Enjoy.